Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Demika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And it's the year of the unicorn. It's true. <laughs> the year now starts in November. Exactly, which we talked about of what a like not a great month November is. And so we're we're just trying to add a little unicorn magic to it. What yeah, year is it for real? It's the year of the pig. Year of the pig, the boar. I don't know <laughs> what it is in English. Pig. Pig. Pig? Okay, pig. Um, I think unicorn's definitely an upgrade. I will take that for sure. Yeah. For sure. And we are celebrating our year of the unicorn, and we're going to be discussing issues of race and gender. And we have ruined so many holidays in our journey. We have related so many things back to Harry Potter. It's ridiculous. I mean, everything relates back to Harry Potter. It's a new board game that's coming out this winter. Uh, We're just so excited. But today we've had lovely people email us, Instagram us, leave comments and their questions. And we have kind of gathered about six of them up together and we're going to be answering them. And are you ready, Danny? Yes. I also want to say those of you who are joining us on Instagram Live, if you have anything you would like to add to the conversation, feel free to drop it in the little comment box down there and we'll... We'll be happy to address it as it comes up. Excellent. All right. Let's do the daggone thing. Would you like to start, lovely Danny? Sure. So the first question we have comes from Mommy. Is that how you say her name? Yeah, I I think that's what she's going by. Okay, cool. (laughs) Mommy, who messaged us on Facebook, and her question is, being biracial, have you ever been mistaken for another race you're not a part of? On my Cuban side, this is a lot of information about a mommy, but I think it's relevant. Yeah, On my Cuban side, there is a small amount of Arab, but so long ago, we don't really know anything about that culture or identify as it. But there's a little bit of the physical features still. I've had white people get mad at me at airports for it. I feel like I want to say I'm not even Arab, but I also don't want to act like being Arab is a bad thing. My sister has hella curly hair and is often mistaken for being black and runs into similar discrimination. She doesn't know how to handle it sometimes either. Can you relate at all? So, Jamaica, can you relate to this? (laughs) You know, so much more living overseas, actually. Um, In America, I had been not accused. I've I've asked if I've been um, not uh, Polynesian. I've gotten mm-hmm. Polynesian. I've also gotten Inuit. I've gotten that. Um, but being over here, I get Dominican, Cuban, Brazilian, Portuguese, Spanish. Funny enough, I've been a lot more or so like or so over here, which has been very jarring because I'm not I'm not nearly as used to it. I know you have had that experience though. Most of story of my (laughs) life. (laughs) I've talked about it on the show, I'm sure. But this face, people think I'm Asian all the time. I love that face. Which I am not. And I have kind of ebbed and flowed between like how much I want to call people out on it throughout the years. Mm. I've definitely had points in my life where I just let people think it because it's easier than fighting it which I know is not a great reaction Mm. (laughs) is what I've done but I think mommy brings up a good point of wanting to identify what we are and own what we are versus Mm -hmm. 
not putting down another group. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want to be like, I'm not Asian because Asians are the worst. Like that's not, (laughs) (laughs) that's not the message, right? It's something about being mixed race is we don't easily fall into a category. Mm -hmm. So people try to create one for us and oftentimes it's wrong. And so that's what's really difficult. It is. I think it's something that makes me have a lot more sympathy for white presenting people who Mm. are also mixed race or people of color because they're seen as white, which is an advantage in our society. But also you're being robbed of something, right? Because you're not you're not being able to identify as what you actually are. So we can definitely relate is is, is an an answer. (laughs) We don't have the best the best solution. I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find that gently correcting people works well. Or if you're not feeling confrontational, like dropping in what you are (laughs) in a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I also think in particular in like this airport situation, you don't want to start things with people in positions of power. And that's what makes it so difficult. And I think that's the thing, too, is picking where you do that and how you do that. Is it really important to the certain situation as well? Which is a hard thing to say because you want to be like, no, you need to correct them. You need to bring Mm -hmm. that. But in this particular one, you are quite vulnerable. But Mm -hmm. I do think it is really important that we encourage people to have that space to correct people in a way that is not saying, oh, I don't want to be associated with Arab, but being like, actually... People who are Cuban, um, Mexican, who are Latin, have a different profile of looking than what you have decided them to look like. And so I yeah. think we have like that, almost like the responsibility of been like, yes, actually, especially for those who are fair skin or white presenting, actually, I'm here to blow your stigma and your... Your, your very small definition of what a person of color actually looks like and try to broaden that view so that way people actually might take a moment to kind of think a little bit more and have a little bit more of that exposure as well. Yes, agreed. Also, thanks, Melly. Thanks for dropping Aww, in to say hi. Thank you so much. Oh, that's so supportive. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think you're right. It's a responsibility and it's it's hard when it's so tied uh-huh. to your appearance you can't remove yourself from it right no no and it's almost like you're like what do I have to do to prove it to people but you don't have to prove anything to anybody and I think that's for anybody who really struggles with appearance as well do you even physically look like that you owe nothing to anybody you are certain of yourself. You don't have to prove anything to anybody Mm. it's one of those things it takes a long time at least for me to have that certain confidence in it. But once you have it, I think that takes being surrounded by people who have that same experience to also cheer you on. I know having Danny and a few other people who are similar to me has given me a lot more confidence in this year to be like, the way you perceive me is partial. It's it's mostly your problem. All, yeah. all I can do is give you the information, but I can't change your perception of me whatsoever. Dude, and that's like a hard place to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's just because you've gotten there in one moment yeah. doesn't mean you're going to live there. Girl, right? say it. I rent. <laughs> I struggle. I really do struggle. But the, the longer I stay in those places, the more I want to be there. The more I want to mm. be more comfortable 
in the idea of people's perception of me, not just with race, but with personality, you know, someone who struggles with depression, someone who's a little bit stronger and more firm in their femininity as being a feminist of just being like your perception of me is literally not my problem. It really, really isn't. And it's there's it's so much liberation. But I do, I do, I fall back on that horse quite often. It is it is really difficult not to. Girl, I admire that. I try to live there too. And sometimes I'm like very much there and give no fucks. Mm. But sometimes it's it's a struggle. No. Well, it's something like I didn't start practicing till probably my 30s. Um, I wish I would have started younger. And I'm really hoping with this next generation of feeling that liberation of being like, I am going to be, and this is the verbiage is, ugh. you have to be your most authentic self. Ugh, I, I hate myself even saying it. I'm not that hip or cool. But living in that truth and living in yourself of being like, so what is black? What is white? What is Mexican? It is what I am. That's yeah. what it is today. And just oozing that and owning that for no one else but yourself. Just like with the curly hair being like, guess what? Curly hair is Cubano now. That's what that is. Seriously, right? Because that's what I am. And I love it. I love when people own what they are of being like, you know, being mixed is freckles, being mixed is straight hair, being mixed is this because that's who I am. So when people ask, what does a mixed person look like? Me. Like I define that because that's my truth. And it's, I find more people getting younger and being more confident in that. That gives me a lot of hope. I think that's an important thing to hang on to with this as well. And this is therapy talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, girl. This is what this is for. <laughs> but, but you never know what your actions are doing for other people around you who can't speak up. Right. Like in that moment, there's probably other people who are living a shared experience as yours. And I think as mixed people, like we can very easily fall into the background. Right. Like mm -hmm. like we're saying, our appearance doesn't always reflect who we are. So in that moment, if you take that opportunity to speak up, your words are probably having an impact on other people around you who might be having a similar experience or who have had a similar experience in the past. Exactly. I really like that. I totally do. Uh, well, well, mommy, I hope that was helpful. And thank you so, so much for that question. I think it's a really valid question. I think something to always kind of be mindful of and giving people, especially who are mixed, freedom mm. and support to know that they're not alone. And I think that's the biggest thing about our podcast is just showing people you are not alone. Yes. Next question. Let's see. This is from Haley by email. She, let's see. My question is, do you have any tips on raising children who don't present as black, which is funny, we were talking about in a way that keeps them connected with their black heritage? I really felt for this question very much so because I'm a mixed woman. My husband's white. So my daughter is a beautiful olive skin girl with Goldilocks hair. Mm -hmm. And unless you really look at her, she does not present as mixed. And it was really, this was something I had to kind of deal with. Because I, I'm never ashamed, but I knew our experience was going to be different. When you have kids, right. you always think about how you're going to raise them. And you know, I'm going to teach her how to do her hair early, so she won't struggle like I have. Um, but then I saw her, I'm like, that is a light baby. It sounds awful, but that's my truth. When I first saw her, I'm like, that is a light baby. <laughs> and having to kind of deal with those feelings, first of all, of not feeling 
bad about feeling that way. Mm. I, that, to, to accept that and be like, yes, you have ideas of what it's going to be like as a parent. But when I was kind of researching a little bit, before my daughter was born, I got this book. It says, I'm a Pretty Little Black Girl by Betty K. Barnum. Burnham. And what I loved about this particular book that I have not seen in a lot is that she actually shows little girls of different shades from honey, honey color to deep, deep, dark mahogany. And I'd never seen that before. And of course, I didn't know what my daughter was going to look like. And it was something about that of saying, once again, of reclaiming what we think a person of color, a mixed background, someone who's mixed with black would really look like. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I really like that. And I've been reading that to my daughter ever since she was really tiny and really talking about my experience in growing up, because even though she is light and she's going to have a lot of privileges, she's going to have a different battle than I am, which is once again, having to prove within the African-American culture and mixed culture that this is indeed part of her. You've had experience, but a d- different kind of way, because we talked about um, not really having the influence of the, na- the native side of you or of your life. What is that? I don't know. Do you have feedback for this one? Well, I think it's a little different than the question, mostly because it's primarily what I present as, I would say. Mm -hmm. more. I walk into Chicano or Latino spaces and people hardly ever peg me as it because I don't Mm -hmm. particularly look that way, even though what is that way? Because it's such a huge... (laughs) huge Girl. varied community like your book that you mentioned like mm-hmm. latinos can look like Girl. anything mm-hmm. so i don't present that way so people don't see me that way my name is very white name mm-hmm. danny belvin like my full name elizabeth danielle belvin very white sounding <laughs> um so so i mean i think i have i have that experience actually from that way because I don't present that way but that was the culture that I was brought up in so I feel like it's always a battle for me in those spaces as an adult to be like no I I belong here I should be here like I have to justify my existence in those spaces which sucks especially Mm -hmm. like if there's people who weren't raised in that way and look more the part or have like a Spanish last name who can like jump in much easier than I can it's it's frustrating it doesn't feel fair but life isn't fair. so It isn't. And I think we talked about this in an episode where it was like appropriation versus appreciation. So much of it has to be about you're just going to have to be okay with that Mm. within yourself. With that, with with raising my daughter, I remember the first time I put her hair in corn rolls and I'm like, I'm going to, she's going to get so much flack for that. And I, I got very scared for her. And I'm like, but why? Why? If she needs backup, I'm her backup. Who do we have to justify? Nobody. We are the proof ourselves. Sometimes we have to justify our behavior, but I think that's hard when it comes to this question because Mm -hmm. we don't want to have to force the children to justify it. Right? Like as parents, I think the parents have that responsibility to be that proof for them to fight those battles for them Mm -hmm. yeah uh, well the thing is being ready of just being like I am aware that my daughter might get pushed back because of how she identifies things that she loves to do her language her interest her hairstyle our clothing style all these things that people may associate with a certain race and background I'm ready if people have questions I'm if they need the proof bam here I am and what more do you need than that and it shouldn't be that way but it still very much is. And I think for Haley of just saying, like, if you have support, 
another thing that's really important is just surround yourself with community as well. I'm going to always push that because Mm. I think the more you have the support on days where you feel defeated or weak or over it, they're going to give you that encouragement of being like, no, she's so much more than the amount of melanin because it's all about our treatment. Right. Yeah, I agree. Community, 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 community. And sometimes we have to kind of force and build that community ourselves. Definitely. Yes. Thank you. I really enjoyed that question. I would probably love to comment back on that because as my journey grows as being a mom, because as she's getting older, my daughter's five, Mm. becoming more in question when it's like the only mom of color for the pickup and they don't know which kid to give me. (laughs) So it's like there's different kind of battles and staying with with the heritage. Like I said, books are really great. Music is always fantastic. I'm always about food. (laughs) But being unabashed, do exactly what you would do for a child who was maybe darker presenting because guess what? the blood amount and the ties is exactly the same. Yes. Yes. Someone just sent us a question or a comment saying that their son will be a year old this month. (gasps) Same age as our podcast. (laughs) And they get questions about raising him to be bilingual and they're proudly doing so. Amazing. Amazing. Super jealous because while I was... A Spanish speaker as a child, I stopped speaking Spanish and my mom didn't push hard enough. I know that sounds like a judgment on my mom. I'm sorry. But and so I lost it. And I think it's so important for Mm. kids to be bilingual, like the connection to the culture, the opening up opportunities. So important and so amazing that you're able to give that gift to your son. Like, I think that's awesome. I'm for. Yes. Yes. More than a mama. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. And and that in itself, that is a full lifelong commitment and a tie that you will always have to each other. And I think language is something, one of those things we don't. When they talk about people and dictatorships and trying to take over communist countries, the things they take away are religion and their language when they start trying to oppress a people group. And so I think we're really seeing a revival of people taking a lot more pride in their language. And I am so beyond for it. Like, I am for it. I support that. And I think even children who are who are not necessarily Spanish, Italian, French, learn a language. It really opens up your world. Right. Yeah. You don't have to have a cultural tie to learn another language. I think it's just good for people overall. Mm. Mm, yes. Yes. The other language I speak, I have no cultural ties to. So, mm. But I think it, it's something I don't have children, but... My husband and I have, if we were to have children, have decided that we would raise them speaking Spanish and English. Mm. Oh, I love it. Next question. This one came to us via Instagram. What up, Instagram? Mm -hmm. This is from Ms. Karma, and it's for both of us. What is your opinion on these hate groups protesting on the streets in America? Should it be allowed because of our freedoms to peacefully protest and free speech? Or should it be banned, therefore opening doors for the government to step in and stop all kinds of freedoms? Oof, it's a heavy question. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I read that and I just, girl, my heart just like went right into my gut. It's like, mm, I am super challenged by that. I had to really put my beliefs in check of like, what do I truly believe? Am I for morality or liberty? Do I want constitutional rights or do I want my rights? Mm. 
it's one of those things that really makes you really get in a line of what you actually really believe if you're following underneath a constitution and what are our actual rights for all. I was really diving deep in order to kind of see how I could actually word this in a way that would be exactly how I felt. And I was reading about the case about the uh, white nationalists in 1977 against uh, National Socialist Party versus Skokie, which is a place in Illinois, which I had no clue. They had such a huge amount of Holocaust survivors whatsoever. I was completely Mm. ignorant of that, which what up? In 1977, these uh, basically a Nazi group wanted to have a protest, for lack of a better word, and they wanted to have in a specific town. And of course, craziness ensued. Uh, the people of Skokie, which were a lot of survivors that had remained silent about what was going on, were trying to say, no, you cannot have this. This is hate speech, not again. It was giving people a lot of you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. It was bringing a lot of pain. Well, of course, the, the Nazi Socialist Party basically were saying, you can't do this. This is under our free speech and mm. our right of peacefully assembly. The court case, it went and the gentleman who even uh, represented the, the Nazi party said, I'm not, I don't agree with the man, but I'm not representing the man. I'm representing his constitutional rights. I'm representing the first amendment. Yeah. But that's kind of like fucking lawyer speak anyway. Like isn't it? lawyers are always representing people they don't agree with. Right. <laughs> You have the choice. <laughs> right? No, 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 no. I, I, it's one of those things of like, they'll constantly, I had to be like, breathe, breathe, breathe. Well, Skokie, the village, they, they lost based upon the things that it would infringe upon their First Amendment, right? And I had to say, okay, well, so what does this mean? This means that what I learned from, from Skokie is that even though they lost their presence and their outcry eventually got this party this this national socialist party to kind of move to an area to where they once were so it was out of their main drag because they were like we're not going to be silent they figured that it would not be able to maintain peace whatsoever so i feel they had a victory in that and that making their presence known if i say that i believe in free speech and the right to assembly i feel it becomes a dangerous slope if we start putting restrictions on what we consider to be a hate group or who's allowed to do that and that's really hard for me to say because i don't want the freaking kkk being able to have that to me it's inhumane i don't consider them to be human beings but that's there a line will start to be drawn in the sand and we'll start saying who else can be put into that and that's really dangerous it's really really dangerous i don't know it's so emotionally charged and difficult but i do believe that if it's peaceable and they've maintained the right permits they have that right unfortunately underneath our constitution um I have mixed feelings. I th- that's the thing too. It is a mixed feelings thing, but yeah, this is the most basic way I've heard it explained, and I think it is useful to think about. You have your rights as long as you aren't infringing on anyone else's rights, right? And yes. I think as soon as you start talking about hating a particular group, mm-hmm. you're you're writing that line. And I think a lot of these hate groups have been pretty vocal about violence towards people and it, in my opinion that's where that line needs to be drawn if they're talking about throwing people out of the country or enacting violence on them then they should not be allowed to assemble and 
make these declarations publicly. But it's hard to make that argument when we have a fucking president who is allowed to do those things, right? It's true. Well, what also, if we take that, then what will happen is that people will take that liability and been like, okay, if anything that's hate speech or a hate group, they can say, oh, this vegan group that thinks that is calling people murderers and calling out and things we need to get rid of people who keep eating meat. They can say this speaking group is technically a hate group. They are hating on people who eat meat. They're not allowed to peacefully protest and get their information out there. That's that's what that's where my fear is, is that if we allow this, then people, of course, all the wrong people, those who speak the lawyer talk we were just talking about, are going to start taking that and be able to label whatever they like into a hate group. Yeah, well, I don't know. When it's against a person and you're going to a place, like if you're protesting against Muslims, like outside of a mosque, like that shit's not okay. Like that is not okay. And I think it goes back to, I feel like there is not a strong sense of protecting the people or empowering the people in the way that I would like to see. And to me, it feels like by allowing these hate groups to be inciting violence, it is not protecting the people. It is not making, I don't know. It's a complicated issue though. Like, I recognize that. And I can see the fear of, like, slippery slope, taking away all the freedoms. I don't know. It's it's hard. It is. Because I'm also not a constitutional lawyer. So that's Mm. the thing, too. I was like, I'm like, I'm not one who spent, you know, about a part of my life but doing that. But saying, like, if uh, for me, for both of us, we both practice quite liberally our freedom of speech. And for someone who's also participated in my freedom to assembly, it is also one of those things of perception of what would technically be peaceable. And if we start giving that and start labeling that, I know of always people, their pendulum swing, they will take that and run with that. And that that's my greatest fear. But what I have learned with Skokie, because I'm thinking of how do we combat that? Because the thought of this happening and, and witnessing to that is heart-wrenching. And you're right. What about the safety of the people? What about people being able to live peaceably and live happy lives? What what about that right as well? Why is freedom of speech seem to be outweighing people's right to have a peaceable life? Yes. So what can we do for this for this particular question she talked about in her town? She still has these these marches and these protests. In Skokie, what they did is that they made their presence known bigger than the presence of this particular hate group. Yeah. Louder more more unified and i think if anything these groups are going to meet regardless whether they're meeting out and protesting or not and i think that's the thing in particularly america i had i feel a lot of people for lack of a better word been in closeted so far and i think a lot more people because of our particular political climate have felt a lot more freedom to kind of come out mm-hmm. and be like actually i am a nationalist and they have a, they feel very safe but i feel that if it's out in the open we can start saying hey People who think racism, people who think nationalism is a thing of the past, you are dead wrong. Here, look at the proof. Look at this. Because I get people who are shocked that I think, well, I just don't think it's as bad as it used to be. To my face. To my face will say, I don't think racism is where it used to be. I don't think it's as bad. Um, At least it's not the 60s. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. In fact, it's more calculating. Their argument is getting stronger, more intelligent. So let's put them out there on the street and let's unify and show it and be like the people of Skokie. Let's actually have unity. Let's abolish colorism. Let's start getting rid of these microaggressions within our own community and make a unified front to know that our presence is 
bigger and long lasting than that of a movement of like the KKK nationalists, anti-Muslims moment. I don't know. I feel like that is where I want to put my hope in. I agree. And I want to believe my Mulder moment of the day. I want, But then I think about Hong Kong and like millions of people protesting. And yet. And mm. yet. I don't know. I want to believe in the power of, of assembly and protest, but it's hard. I don't know if it actually enacts change. So I agree. I think it's important to have the presence, but I think ultimately we need to change the system. Mm. Elect officials who are going to look out for people and for equity and embracing like a larger community than this false narrative that America is, you know, white Christian. Let's Mm. go back to the heyday of slaves where I was in charge of everything. You know, we have to also think about systemic change as well. Exactly. And I think what I probably would really love to do in a further episode is really start talking about, I think a lot of people are hiding behind freedom of speech. Mm. And I think especially uh, people who do things that would exclusive or people who find things offensive by hiding behind our First Amendment rights. I would love to kind of go deeper into that, especially because you and I are in the arts and we do shows and, and play and we love music and movies. But I feel more and more we're having a generation that's saying you all are too sensitive it is freedom of speech because i do think there is a line but where the frick is that line when you get that argument back you're too sensitive freedom of speech aren't you being sensitive by reacting to me that way oh, <laughs> like, like isn't it both ways <laughs> sorry but that's just how it is mm. yes freedom of speech say what you want but i'm gonna call you out on your shit if you're being a dick mm, freedom to to a bat to freedom i have that freedom to call out that it's interesting but i would i think especially particularly in the arts i think it's really funny how people will cling to that it's um i've got feelings there's still consequences for what you're saying even if there's exactly. freedom of speech there's still exactly. consequences it doesn't mm-hmm. remove the consequences so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is a second question from ms karma though that's specifically for you so mm-hmm. The second question is, as a young mixed girl growing up, did you struggle with your hair type and what mixed girl's hair is supposed to look and feel like compared to your own? I'm so glad someone wants to talk about hair. No, I I did. I think for someone who I felt like I was the wrong kind of mixed girl. I never felt like I was mixed girls were always lighter with me, lighter eyes, sandier hair. I just I had dark, dark, like dark curls. I'm a bit bigger, fuller. I have darker features. I really, really did struggle with that. And I did not like being compared to other mixed girls because it created a bitterness within me of growing up. And I think women are normally also compared to other women. We've talked about that Mm. extensively. But I think then you start getting into the realm of mixed and how we're all kind of, you know, we see that there's a little bit of privilege in that. And are you trying to vying for that spot and just so desperately wanting to be seen as a person, but you're still not the right mixture. And so uh, with that, it was once again of trying to decide who I was. And we had a rapid fire question I think our last one where we talked about, do I identify with one side more than the other? I'm white and black. And it's taken me to this long to say I am both. And that means embracing Mm -hmm. both sides of both. And I get to be both because that is my particular journey. So what we kind of said before in questions, we just answered of like what hair is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to look like whatever is on my freaking head because that's what I am. I can't 
be any more mixed than what I am right now and owning my own identity through that. And I think also realizing that my identity cannot be wrapped up in my hair. It's an important part of my culture in my life, but that cannot be what I root and ground myself in my identity. Um, I think I talked about before, I would always be very hesitant to try other styles, um, corn rolls, uh, locks, braids, because I never felt like I was enough, ethnic enough to do it. I would have that imposter syndrome. And now I've had such a liberation because if anyone wants to question my ethnicity about it, it doesn't get more than this. What proof do I need in order to have curly hair, textured hair, braided hair, faux lock hair? It's me. I'm the proof. My life, in my journey, how I'm treated, my my history, and my background. It sometimes it does hurt, and sometimes it is a struggle if people want to call you out and make comments. But I have just started to become so much more self confident in my own life, in my own mixedness. And so, yeah, I, I do. I think a lot. I think a lot of mixed people really struggle with the hair thing. It's like the ocean; it takes up so much more space. Like we have a whole face, but yet it's right. the hair. I don't know. Why hair? Part of it is human nature. Like we identify people by hair first before faces. Or maybe it's just me because <laughs> I think I have I have slight face blindness. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> hard time. I have a hard time differentiating people sometimes. Um, girl, she's got that early dementia setting and I'm really concerned. I mean, particularly like white men in movies can't tell them apart. Um <laughs> identify them by the hair so like please don't give everyone the same hairstyle and color because i will never be able to tell them apart in a movie but i think you know like that's the larger silhouette like as a child this is moving away from it a little but as a child i would look for my mom in the store based off of her hair and that's what my sister would too because my mom has like curly big black hair so that was like what I would look for to find my mom if I got separated from her um, and there were definitely like a couple of situations where I'd like grab a woman who was not my mom and realize like <laughs> too late uh, so, so that awkward. is true because the first thing I would color on my people would be the hair like when you're a little kid you do little yeah. drawings the first thing I would color would be their hair now I now this is therapy talk um, yes. <laughs> and like even as an adult I feel like I'm defined by my hair I'm not even like I don't have ethnic hair but I still feel like defined by my hair mm, I, the bangs girl that's signature Danny <laughs> it is like, signature Danny I don't even like a Danny without bangs is a Danny I don't know if I want and in my life <laughs> it's a Danny with her wrinkly forehead exposed is what it is no, girl I've got that crater <laughs> right here that I'm just trying to silly putty together really <laughs> It's called like, why is society like this? That's why it is. We scowl a lot of like, why are there so many white guys with the same haircut in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta cover those wrinkles. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel for that for sure. And I think it's, it's hard because once again, it's pushing up against those expectations. Mm -hmm. Like we need to get to a place of peace within ourselves where we aren't trying to live up to other people's expectations of what we should be Mm -hmm. including in our own community which Mm -hmm. don't get me started that that's the hardest part is even within our own communities feeling like we have to kind of like you said like move along and find ourselves where do we fall on the spectrum of our ethnicity yes our next question is from caravan it's from instagram she says her daughter and prefacing that this is a 
Anglo-Saxon, a white family. Her daughter <laughs> was at a park a few days ago playing with some little black girls and loved their hair, braids with beads. Ugh, who doesn't love that? She was asking when she can have hair like that. I wasn't sure how to respond. Her hair is too short right now anyway, so it's not an issue yet. But I want to teach her well from the beginning, and I am apparently terrible at figuring out how to do that with a barely three-year-old. Any advice on navigating that conversation? With a three-year-old. Yeah, with a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm glad I'm not in this situation. Sorry. <laughs> That is like, if you want truth, if you want raw, it's her. It's right here. I mean, I think you have to, you have to be able to explain that one, that kid has different hair than Mm -hmm. than your own and also explain like it's cultural and if you have an example of your own culture to kind of hold up against it 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 might be helpful you know it's just like we do these things and they do these things and I love that but we have to respect something I don't know if that will fly with a three-year-old I don't know what what is your advice Dominka I would say I would ask a three-year-old what does she why does she like it ah good question what about it that you like about it? Because it could be, does she like the beads in it? So she wants mm. jewelry and it's like, cool. Well, and take her to where you can have these things. Because the thing is what you have a good opportunity is for her to appreciate that. Because yes. I've definitely seen where other children, I'm sure because you worked with a lot of young kids who like, you know, you're, let me back up. What Caravan has an opportunity to do is from the get-go to teach kids not to say, oh, can I touch your hair? Oh, I've never seen hair like that. Mm. Oh, I don't know what to do with that. Or ew, or that's different. She has an opportunity to be like, there's something about her hair you really like, and I want to encourage that, while also saying, how can you still admire that in a way that is still in line to what she said, like what her family does. So you could have braids. Sure, you can have braids. Maybe not those kind of braids, because it wouldn't. Right. it's a, a practicality thing. Oh, you want beads? I could put some beads or some fancy barrettes in your hair if that's what you do. Maybe not that style because that's the pleasure and joy she gets to have with that particular texture of hair. And this is the pleasure and joy you get to have with your texture of hair. Mm. And I think that's the thing, too, of just teaching them, like, you obviously notice something really beautiful and unique in that. And I celebrate. How can you have beauty and uniqueness in your own way? And I think that's the three-year-old version. And I think you can continue to keep revisiting that until you you can start having those harder conversations of, like, the importance of hair and the long backstory of that. I think that's very, very helpful. It's okay to be... Even with kids as young as three, I don't think you have to present in a way that you have all the answers or that you're like mm-hmm. perfect or worry it. about being that perfect role model. Because I think modeling the idea that like we're all working to be better is something that's great. Yes. It helps build trust, right? Like yes. we have this idea that, oh no, like I want to have all the answers because then the ki- my kids feel like they can trust me. But I think knowing that you don't have the answers, but that you're going to work to get the answers inspires more trust. Exactly. And also I think it, it sounds really bizarre. It's with me and my daughter, imperfect, she knows that I am. The more grace she gives me when I mess up because I mm. am going to mess up because guess what? Newsflash, I'm human. And this what? is my first- 
a girl, I know batteries are not included. But when I'm with my daughter and I'm going to make a mistake or, you know, I'm, I'm going to yell when I should. But when she realized, wow, my mom is human like me. She doesn't know everything. She has to work hard too. It also make her be less hard on herself as well. Yes. Yes. Um, we all need that. That lesson as soon as mm-hmm. possible. You're going to fail. I love it. Sidebar, the new Magic School Bus on Netflix. What, what? Give it a try. There's a whole episode. Girl, I'm living. And Lynn Manuel does the theme song. Nice. Living. She had a whole episode about failing. And I was like up on my, like, yes, teach children. She would greet the class and be like, hello, my little failures. The more I teach her, you're not going to know everything. You are going to have lapses in your knowledge too. And guess what? We have to work at it. So when my daughter or a kid asks me a question and I don't feel strong, I'm like, let's find out together because I don't necessarily know. Or let me ask somebody who does know. It shows humility and openness. And I think that establishes trust a lot more. Being like, even if you don't know it, you're not going to BS your way through it right. to, to cover up some insecurities. We're going to find out together. And I, I really hope, I don't know, I'm still in the midst of raising a kid, but I really hope it proves that she doesn't have to all, all together. And as somebody who isn't raising children, but it has been around children. <laughs> and look how good your skin looks. <laughs> No children, lots of water. <laughs> yes, yes. I find that there's there's like a variety of kid kid responses to when I'm like, I don't know, let's find out. Like some kids are like so on board with me and some kids are like, how <laughs> a way you don't know? Who are you? Where is the real adult here? Right. <laughs> I hate that that like adults have to know everything. I don't know. I was never a kid who thought that way, which therapy talk, but like, <laughs> like I never had those like moments of like, oh my God, adults don't know what they're doing. Oh my God, my parents don't have the answer. Like I never had that realization in my life because I feel like I was aware of that for a long time. And so to me, I found the more trustworthy adults to be the ones who were not bullshitting me and who were willing to say that they didn't know and work with me to find out what Mm, the answers were. I like that. So so that was like perhaps too much information in (laughs) response to your question. Never. I love D'Amika's idea of the follow-up question of what is it that you like about her hair? What can we do that's equivalent and Mm -hmm. continue to love her hair because her hair is amazing. You're right. Those braids were boss. Exactly. And so is yours. And like, I think that teaches kids not to like, in encouraging their beauty, it does not degrade your beauty. So so Tamara sent this via email. I really loved this email when we got it. So thanks Mm. so much. How do I raise biracial children to be proud of their heritage and not just feel like they may not belong because they aren't enough of anything? Mm -hmm. So and she also talked about I'm going to read the rest of this. Yeah, I'm also nervous because white people tend to be the opposite of King Midas, and we so often just ruin culture when we touch it, and I do not want to do that to them. So she was specifically talking about her mixed-race children. She is white, and her husband Mm -hmm. is Latino, Chicano, and so their children are mixed. And so she's navigating this minefield of wanting her children to embrace that culture, even though her husband feels like 
like he wasn't really raised in that culture. Mm. So it's like discovering the culture, raising them with it, having them be proud, but also not having that feeling of we're not enough because we don't look this way or we didn't grow up in this particular way or whatever. Her worry about being a white person in that system, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's difficult. Do you have thoughts about this, Damika? I do. I think with, like I said, it's a lot of children questions, which can I just say for anyone who ever like asked questions about children, bravo. Thank you for not thinking like, oh, I don't have to think about it till my kids like 10 or nine or whatever. Like these are younger kids. And I just applaud that. And that gives me so much confidence. Like a, I'm not being like super woke with my kid and I need to have some chill. Like a, I always need that. <laughs> and, and two, that there are other people out there who are doing the work. Yes. And that is really encouraging as well. I think with children, especially if you feel like, first of all, if if your husband's not feeling that, I would try to pursue them to think of, wouldn't you have liked that? And maybe mm. try to work on that a little bit more of just like how important that would have been for you. Um, and also maybe even cling to like your in-laws as well, because there might other be other people who want to cling to that and want to raise the kids that way. With kids, if they kind of struggle or you're not feeling like they're feeling it and you're feeling like, oh, I don't want to be an imposter, you don't have to manifest culture. Mm. Culture is already there. Wait, say it again. Say it again. <laughs> you don't have to manifest culture. It's already there. <laughs> I was like, is this yes, yes? Um, you, you don't have to. It's it's already there. And I think you can cling to those examples. Kids have all different kind of interests. They like imaginative play, books, movies, food, cartoons. And I think especially within the Latino Chicano reference it is a beautiful plethora of mm. places you can you if your kids are into storytelling and books, flood them with those books. So you don't have to feel like you're making up something or being like minus ruining it to have a Chicano tell like I've got this book or movies been like look this is someone who directed or starred or even right. in Spanish kids are really resilient if you're in a community where mm-hmm. there's opportunity to go out to community events mm-hmm. that is something amazing that you can do and yes. take them to and then it's not coming from you like you're not having to manifest this culture but you're taking them and exposing them to the culture and letting them participate in it. Exactly. And when it when it becomes an experience and it's very immersive, kids really get on board with that and they really take into it. The same thing of like, I know, I know I'm obsessed with food, but even that is a real big tie if you're getting in there. Food is huge in culture. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, hey, let's go into the kitchen and make like a, a grandmother's dish or like this is very traditional, you're following a recipe, you are not making fun of it you're not trying to whitewash it you are sharing it with your children and telling them that like when we do this this ties us together in something bigger than ourselves so and even like your kids of their various ages when you go off and live your life and you start your own life with your own friends or own family guess what when you make this you will always be home and will always tie you to something bigger than yourself and I think kids want that they believe really believe it or not even as young as three and four they want to be tied to something yes. they give of themselves. Give them more credit. Yeah, I think it's just based off of what you're saying, I think there's there's two sides of it. One, we should be exposing our kids to as many different cultures as possible. Mm, say it. Just as an opportunity for them to start to grasp how big and diverse and wonderful the world is. Second thing is this idea of connecting to their own culture and the fear 
that she mentioned of of not feeling enough, which ties back to a lot of what we've been talking about today already. That is something that we all as mixed people have to work through mm-hmm. and come to peace with like all facets of ourselves. And I think just never holding that bar for them of being like, you know, this is what Chicano people do and you're part Chicano. Like, not even like differentiating that way, but being like, Mm -hmm. that's who you are. Like, this is who you are and you're also tied to me and my traditions and these are what we do and you are all of these things. It's not you're part of these things. You are all of them. Say it, girl. And I think, shout out to the non-person of color within the relationship, whether it's mom or dad. For for those who are trying, thank you for trying. And because the thing is, I understand you might be in that mid-wokeness or you are becoming aware of these issues with your kids for the first time. Unless, until you have kids, you never know what you're going to do and how you're going to feel. But the fact that you're asking these questions and doing the work I applaud you, but you don't have to feel like a phony because you want your kids to know who they are. Let's see. Oh, someone was a Japanese major. Shout out, Japanese major. I was a Japanese minor until I became an Asian studies major. So I Mm, guess that's that's like a Japanese major. It escalated very quickly. I was just very close to having that degree, which I realized like my junior year. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm double majoring now. It's cool. Mm. I guess I'm writing a thesis <laughs> next year. Something Japanese. That's cool. <laughs> uh, that's totally a Danny response to something. Been like, yeah, I mean, I wasn't planning on it, but it just kind of just so happens to work out. Yeah. Cool. We do have one more write-in question that we're going to address. Mm-hmm. So final question. Damika, you got this one? Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, she was here in the beginning and she could only stop by um, an Instagram comment that MellyX99 wrote. And she wrote, which was, I think, very timely. What do you think about non-Latinx people celebrating De La De Las Muertes? Yes. Do you have feelings, Danny? Oh, I have so many feelings. <laughs> I'm ready to receive them. And they are so mixed. <laughs> they are so all over the place. It's a oh, case of a person please. feeling all the feelings at once. My knee-jerk reaction is always no. <laughs> but I think it goes back to this idea of appreciation versus appropriation. Mm, because ultimately, it. I'm okay with it if mm. the person has done the work do the work do the work like if you really understand the holiday and the purpose of it and you're celebrating it do it or if you're celebrating it in your own way and it's not like a public thing do it i think at the root of it it's something very human that we can all understand and appreciate this idea of connecting with our ancestors connecting with people who have passed honoring them making that space so that we can have a relationship with them and be with them Mm -hmm. at this particular time of year when you know the veil is at its thinnest i think that's beautiful across all cultures something people can understand in do. And I'm not against people taking it and making it their own to how it makes sense with them. I don't think in that case, it has to be a big public showing of I'm celebrating Dia de los Muertos. Look at me. But connecting with the essence of it is great and celebrating Mm -hmm. it in that way. My problem is... These people who are like, oh, I love these sugar skulls. Like, I'm all about the sugar skulls. And it's like, it's not your culture. You don't really understand what you're you're saying or celebrating. You're just like, I want to paint my face. I don't like that. 
I know. And that's so hard because it's also hard to know somebody's intention as well mm-hmm. of being like, because the thing is they could have, and they could have done all the work. And it, it's really about how much you're willing to put up with really. If you're just like, actually, I'm very, very aware of what's going on. It's something I, for us, we are both from New Mexico. Like for me, I am not Latinx. I'm not Chicano, but it's something I have been a part of and celebrated and have really been really a part of my heart and what and what I do. And it really ties me to where I am from. Right. Um, and the thing is, but I don't know if I would try to parade it off as my own. I don't know if I would host my own party. I don't know if I would have my own afuenda. I don't know if I would do that to me that there's a line in the sand. And I think it takes a lot of discernment and time to figure out where that line Mm-hmm. Is. Yeah. And I think being in that culture has also helped me learn where that line is. Right. I think that's ultimately what it is. It's like, do the work, find the essence, celebrate it in your way. And like in, in that way, you can take ownership over your own way that you celebrate it. But it's not mm-hmm. ownership over the holiday, if that makes sense. Exactly. And if you like the sugar skulls, that's great. But I think also like maybe give a shout out to where they originated. I've been like, I right. painted my face. I was inspired by blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing of like when you take art, if you're going to have to at somebody on Instagram or Facebook for an art or article or quote, why would you not do that with anything else? Like I own. Right. Like why, why is Instagram somehow like more important than (laughs) your fucking life? I don't know. I don't know either. So just give credit where credit is due. Because if I did do it, I would say this is where I'm inspired by, or hey, I'm from New Mexico and this is what we do and be Willing to do the work. We do have a question. I don't know if you saw this pop up. Oh, I, oh, I just saw it pop up. From. <laughs> uh, Why don't you take this one, take this one Danny? Okay, great. Um, since it's from someone near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. Curious to hear your thoughts on this. The census supposedly does not allow you to mark mixed race. Or if it does, you get recorded as other, which is a catch-all. Takes away the power of having... That's all I can see. But yeah, so this idea of census and having to choose, right? Having a choice Mm -hmm. of what we are. Uh, I hate it. Mm. (laughs) Girl. I just, I hate it. I hate having to choose my race, especially if it's not a situation where I can mark multiple boxes. Like, I don't mind if I can mark like three boxes to represent who I am. That's fine. Mm -hmm. When I have to choose one, it sucks. Um, especially for things that are just like, would you like this magazine subscription? What race are you? Honey, I just want the magazine or I just want like, I'm not, I, I get why you, you're trying to do your algorithms, but, but, but for the specifics, it's becoming like they're asking it more often mm. for yeah. things that I don't find to be pertinent for what's going on in the world. Um, it is disappointing. And, and in fact, when we were talking for names of the show, we were talking about like box of other because we've yeah. been otherized our whole lives. Exactly, exactly. And and I hate this idea of having to identify as other because it takes away the power of representation, I feel like, because that other box is always ignored. Like when you look it at is. like any sort of compiling of statistics, like that other box mm-hmm. is like oh, a tiny sliver. slice of pie. And I'm, I'm so sick of it. And for me, like I feel like I have to choose something because I want that representation to be there. Like I want to be able to stand this ground and be like, I am here. Mm-hmm. But when I'm like forced into the other box, it's like you can't. I'm not here. 
Exactly. Well, I think it also is proving to the world when people look at this, because people use it, mm. the census, so much for other research, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've used the census growing up for things, but when you see it, it is a bad idea of what the world thinks of what we're going to. If you actually think about it, of how many people in the world actually identify as mixed, if you saw the actual majority or the proper representation, it would maybe seem a lot less foreign and yes. people would actually start adjusting their mindset of it. Yes. And I think that's what I'm trying to go towards is being mixed race is actually, it's not an other. It's actually a lot more commonplace. It has a presence, it has a voice, and it has a place in this world. Mm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Ah, census, get your life together. How long have you been doing this for? But they only have to do it every 10 years. So it's like, you don't really, it's like, it's like all those looming deadlines that are far in the future. You don't think about it until it's about to happen. Can you imagine, like, I actually just want to see like the rough draft from a census from like 20 years ago. Do you think they actually put like, they're like, Negro on it, like they just did it because it's only ten years, and so much progress happens in that time with verbiage. I would just love to see if, like, even being thankful for the progress they have made, who's to say with the next census what they're going to say? We'll have to see next year. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be it's going to be gender and race are going to be a really hot topic for the for the boxes on the census this year. Word. Let's take away the fucking binary. We're going to find out. Well, definitely not 2020, but maybe 2030. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> going to be so old. I'm definitely not going to know how to work any of this by 2030. <laughs> they like inject something into our, our mm-hmm. fingers and find out all the information somehow. Exactly. But our hands will be too old and frail and pruny yeah, to get it's tricked. It's too pruny. You can't get in. <laughs> Oh, age. That's so cruel. It's because we drink too much Fanta in the 90s. Uh, Yeah. Cool. So those are all of our questions for today. Thank you all who wrote in. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, those of you who have joined us. But we should talk about our happy place. We should. Oh, I do want to say those who did write in and give us questions and comments, I'm going to literally do old school and put your name on pieces of paper in a bowl. And pick out a couple of names to win like some really cute stickers and badges because I'm I'm old school. And you all put the effort in to write us. And I think that's super sweet. So cool. I'll yeah, I'll make a life story about that as well or something like that. So we're on the up and up. I cool. can't play favorites like that. What's your happy place? My happy place. So Halloween just finished. October just finished. We all know I love this time of year. This Mm -hmm. year I did something different that I hadn't done before. And I know you know about this, Damika, because you've seen it. But I I did this basically art prompts every single day for the month of October. So good. You may have heard of Inktober. That's a really popular one people do. I did a different one, which is Mab's Drawloween Club. (laughs) And it's uh, compiled by this artist, Mab Graves, who I love. I'll link her in our our show notes this week. 
you should check out her work if you don't know it. Shout out to uh, my buddy Juliet, who gave me a card with her drawing, a drawing by Mab Graves on it once. And that's what introduced me to this whole world. So she had a different Halloween spooky word for every day of the month. So I did different embroideries, teeny tiny embroideries. They're so cute, guys. Each day of the month. And it was just super fun, super great like way to get out of my head because it was just like you had to be so prolific and just do them every day. So it was just forcing you to create art and put it out there. So that was super fun. Oh, that's really great. I think that's something about creating art is just doing it. It's like people saying like, hey, write every day for 10 minutes, even if it's just like the apple, the apple's on my desk. I'd like to eat that apple. I'm not eating the apple. I'm just putting it out, like out there. Totally. So, um, your <gasps> I should have shown cute. them that we're on Instagram live. Oh, well. Well, I think I think maybe we, maybe we should start maybe in future, since people seem to like our faces, maybe try to put more of our faces out there. Yeah. And we can show what we're working on. What's your happy place, Damika? I've actually, it's like I said, anytime we ever have any time away, we I always like, oh, I need to share this and this and this. We went to, we went to Paris recently, because my life is really hard. Uh, anyway, but... <laughs> It's just, it's super, super hard. It is not as relaxing as you think it is. Anyway, um, I had our Airbnb host, who's this beautiful Parisian woman. And she was so friendly and so kind and bubbly. And she asked me what I did. And I'm like, ah, you know, I'm a mom and I do this and I do social justice work. I've got a podcast. And she's like, really? And she's like, what, what is it? I listen. And she, at that, there, I like have my suitcases and everything with me, like, just got into the door. She's showing us around the Airbnb. It's like, I want to look it up right now. And we clicked it and she did. And she like the next day listened to a couple of them and gave me like encouraging feedback on them. This beautiful woman in France who listened to our podcast about um, biracial issues. It was just a really, really cool moment of just really feeling more connected and feeling even more validated in our work that we're doing because it's a lot of work. And (laughs) it was just, she was just really sweet and encouraging. And I think, yeah, that is my happy place. It also ties with another Parisian thing is um we were on our way to do the like all the touristy always more than one happy place to yes, I know I'm such an optimistic person you should just know by now I can't just keep it to one I'm so happy <laughs> uh, I don't know why you love me I'm so happy um on it's our the way balance. To, it, it is the balance isn't it heart and head it's um we were on the way to the Louvre because you got you have to at least see the outside of it right people all right All right, this is my public service announcement. Y'all need to stop being so extra with your engagement photo. Like, honestly, it was like, of course it's Paris. I understand the implications of romanticism. You young people out there are doing the most. Like, you're being a hella extra with your engagement photos. I was seeing balloons, rented animals, peacocks, canoes, like everyone taking the most extra photos around that area of the, the Eiffel Tower, uh, like I said, the Arc de Triomphe, like all of that, of just like cafes all around Paris, of everyone getting engaged and our wedding photos. And they're just like over the top. I love the parodies of such things. Yes. <laughs> like gender reveal announcement for like a puppy <laughs> or, or like beautiful, like, engagement photos for a dissertation like I love I love it (laughs) I do I'm a big fan actually I know this is I'm a horrible human being I love when gender reveals go wrong 
<laughs> like it's not funny. It's not funny. But I watched one where they have like the black balloon and they're supposed to like pop in. It has the confetti with the gender. Not only could they not pop it, like it was weirdly windy, but the balloon ascended into the air and disappeared. And they're like, who has it written down? Gender is a social construct. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> they were like, they were like trying to chase after this pregnant woman, just like holding her trying. And it's so awful. But I'm just like, it, you could tell it was like such a big deal. And it was, I'm, I'm terrible. But people were being so extra in Paris with their photos. And it, it I'm not making fun of them. And that's not the part that makes you, me happy. It's your happy place. You're clearly it, into it. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of into them just being, I'm like, Oh, if only you realize that like none of this matters, but this is so cute to watch of like the photographer trying to get the right angle. And they're trying to like manifest this romanticism in their awkward. I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, we are about to wrap up here. Mm-hmm. So thanks again to everyone who wrote in. Thanks yes. so much to those of you who joined us. That was so cool. It's pretty exciting, pretty different. Before we started recording, Damika brought up I had these goals for for the end of the first year as we were getting closer to the end of the first year. Girl loves goals. I'm a goal-driven person as much Mm -hmm. as I try to deny it. But so my goal was for us to hit 5,000 downloads and for us to get 500 followers on Instagram. And we exceeded both of those goals. Um, Yeah, like what? Like two girls from Albuquerque, like in the most, well, separated by an ocean. Yes. (laughs) So like as of right now, when we're recording, we have something like 6,400 downloads, which is really exciting. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to us. And we have over 500 followers on Instagram and we have like 200 regular subscribers to the podcast. And it's crazy. This is episode 27, but it's really episode 45 um, that mm-hmm. we've put out yeah. because we don't number all of our, uh, our mini-sodes and things. Yes. So thank you so much for joining us over this last year. We're really looking forward to what the next year brings. And yeah. always, we would love to hear from you. If you have things you would like us to address in the next year, please let us know. Yes, I agree. I think um, we want to hear a lot of people's experiences. We love that. We love hearing people people's uh, feedback if they were touched or moved or inspired or challenged by anything we've said Mm. now because now we have this really big body of work um we'd love to hear if you did one of those things or watch something that we did and just hear your feedback and have a dialogue so i think that's the one thing we say we might not have all the answers but one thing we will continue to encourage is to have those conversations those hard ones those awkward those awkward ones those moving ones those important ones and we want to hear about those conversation and life experiences because that's what this life is about it is and you know this is our our way of of standing up and saying we're here Mm -hmm. and so we'd love for you to join us and stand up and say you're here too yes so what to expect next um us ruining more movies definitely Um, Still relating everything to Harry Potter. Always. Um, always still. Um, always. Yes, always. always. Just like <laughs> Snape and his undying love for Lily. Always. Fade away. Um, we'll probably talk about more things that are going to make you uncomfortable. And make us uncomfortable. Girl, so uncomfortable. So yeah, that's what the next year holds for biracial unicorns. More guests, maybe? That would be cool. Yes, we would like more guests. If you have somebody in mind that you think we should seek out, let us know. We're looking. Yeah. Sniffing around.
<laughs> it's on you, Trev. Mm-hmm. Always Trev. <laughs> at Trevanoa. If you would like to contact us, you can do so in a bunch of different ways. We're out there in all the ways. You can send us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also follow us on the social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns. We're on Twitter at biracialmagic. Thank you so much for Deli Pop Art. For the, from the very beginning, um, the art was really important to us and Danny suggested Deli Pop Art and she knocked it out of the park. I love people showing it. Our stickers are everywhere around the world now. Thank you so much. And also a big shout out to Joseph Scott, who has done our intro and our outro music. They've just really helped give and shape our identity as a show. So huge, huge like shout out to them for doing that for us. Yes. And in particular to Joseph Scott, because he did something really special for D'Amica's birthday. He did. Which was back he- in July. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. It's amazing. Um, So not only did he do the song, but he actually uh, wrote lyrics and sang lyrics to the song. that you Our theme song. Our theme song. And um, it's really great. He's grossly talented. It really annoys me. But he is donating, for lack of a better word, the song to us for us to pick a charity to of our liking, which we will have more of that in future about details. But when you download said song, all the proceeds will go to that charity. It's like he knew exactly how to speak to me of what would be an amazing birthday gift and so we will give you an opportunity to listen to a little chunkity chunk a little sneak peek of that song and very soon you'll have the opportunity to download the whole thing and listen to it and have a little unicorn in your pocket yes and we'll we'll be posting some of our ideas for charities if you have a good idea for a charity that you think would speak to us as biracial unicorns definitely shoot it our way and we'll keep it in consideration but we'd love to hear from you guys and we'll share some of our ideas and have you help us choose which charity we're gonna give the proceeds of this to so in lieu of our normal outro music uh, we're going to share with you a bit of a preview of the song and we'll share with you the the download link and the way to get it for the reels mm-hmm. a little bit later. So thanks again. <laughs> yes. Thanks again for Yay! joining us over this past year. Stick with us. Ah. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, just thank you. Happy anniversary, guys. Happy thank anniversary. <laughs> All right. We'll be back next Tuesday with yes. our mini-sode and in two weeks Mini-sode. with a regular full-length episode. Awesome. All mm. right, all. Can't Peace. Wait. Out. What's it gonna be when you're working with the best one ever? The patent leather to your seat. Lay back and we can take this slowly. Baby, only if you grew to my a demonstration helped to solve this equation for me. Anxious to see.